is what's involved. And, uh, as we do each and every uh, week, around about this time, we chat to people from all walks of life, different kinds of people. Tonight, though, uh, my special guest, and I've really been looking forward to uh, having a chat to him, uh, is Sean Fuchs. Hello, Sean. Hi, Dave. How are you? Well, thank you. Now, when I say special guest, Sean Fuchs, and people are going to go, huh? Okay, what? Who is who is Sean? Um, Sean is is many things. And, and you know, I've, I've been trying to figure out because I've, I've been reading. First and foremost, the reason I came across Sean is um, he's an author. He's got a, a book that's uh, just uh, been published called Fush, A Story of Pride, Respect, and Leadership. Now, that's where I first came across uh, what Sean is, is all about. And I've been reading the book and I've been spellbound. I, I just, I love the way it's been written. One thing that has troubled me about this interview though, Sean, is I don't want to give away too much of the book because I could sit here and we could talk about everything. So we need to leave some surprises. Happy with that? Yes, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so let's start right at the very, very beginning. Tell me, who is who is Sean? Where did Sean grow up, uh, and what was your your sort of your formative years like? Because you're also not only are you an, an author, um, you're a teacher, you're a, um, a, a weightlifting champion as well. Powerlifting, um, powerlifting, pa- yeah. powerlifting champion. Um, you're a water polo coach of note. So there's all of these things. Let's start your journey now. Sure. So, um, Dave. Born and bred in Johannesburg and have lived here literally my entire life, other than the the time that I served in the, the South African Defence Force. Um, and uh, uh, grew up, uh, initially my family was uh, from Benoni. And as I say in the book, in the one chapter that starts, I said, there I said it, I'm from Benoni. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And so we were born there, grew up there really probably until about five, six years old. And then my family headed to, at that point in time, an incredibly open area called North Riding, which today is sort of the Kaya Sands area. Um, And we had a plot there, about a 10-acre plot that we we grew up in and uh, and my father had a very successful engineering business in in sort of the Boxburg industrial area, which he then sold and went in the 70s, went into the gym industry, buying two gyms, one in Hillbrow and one in, uh, in, in Joburg City itself. Um, so I, I ended up growing up in these gyms, uh, hence my, my love for gymming and obviously powerlifting eventually. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the gyms were not successful. Uh, it wasn't a great business venture and it was more his passion than anything else. And uh, yeah, so that kind of led us to in the seventies as a family that we had uh, really been incredibly successful and very blessed with, uh, with uh, travels overseas and uh, really good income to getting to sort of losing the gyms and my dad literally having to start again and us moving from this beautiful house that was sort of custom, bespoke, designed and built for my parents in North Riding to a really two-bedroom apartment in uh, Jabeir Park slash border of Hillbra in, in, the, in the late 70s, sort of early 80s. 
Sure. Okay. That, that, that is quite a change. Just, just so you know, and we can put it out there, and I'm glad you mentioned the thing because um, I'm also a boy from Benoni. Born, bred, grew up in Benoni. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, actually, actually went to Wordsworth High School um, in, in, in those days. It uh, had just changed. When I started there, it just changed from a, a technical school, an Afrikaans technical school, to this, this sort of dual medium, and then it was going on to an English school. So, yes, as a... As, as they used to say in those days, as a SOTI joining a, 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 a high school like that. Um, and, and when things like um, initiation were still, uh, it wasn't frowned on. It was a very interesting time. <laughs> Some people say the best thing about Benoni is uh, when you see it in your rearview mirror. I don't agree with that, though. No, I don't agree with it at all. It was a, it was, it's a great place, certainly for us at that time, to have grown up in. Um, and... Uh, and it's uh, yeah, some, some some top people still live there and have come from there and the roots were there, so it's a good place. Yeah, I think we we, we bred a lot of good people in in, in Benoni. So on so so schooling wise, I mean, you, you said you're in Benoni for a little bit and then you moved to North Riding. Where did you where did you go to school? So in North Riding, we went to a dual medium school called Boskop Primary, which is still there today. It's in the Honeydew area. Um, and we were there, my brother, uh, my older brother, uh, and myself, Garth, we were there uh, really from grade one at that point in time till about, um, till about grade three, uh, uh, or at that stage, sort of standard one, standard two. Um, mm-hmm. And then we moved to, and in between, sort of after the financial difficulties, we then moved across to Persilia, which is sort of near the Glen Hazel Highlands North area. And for a year, we went to H.A. Jack Primary. And then, uh, and then it, was, it was really getting quite tough for my folks. We four kids, uh, two younger siblings, and then Garth and myself. And uh, they decided with us moving into the apartment or the flat in, in Jubair Park, Hillbrow that we would, uh, Garth and I would go to boarding school. So we were we were shipped off to a really small little village hamlet called Hainitzburg between modern day, <clears throat> excuse me, between modern day Polokwane in the, in the old days Petersburg and Zanin and uh, an absolutely magnificent area, beautiful rolling hills, pine forests, Ebenezer Dam, uh, spectacular, even Again, up today, it's a, it, it's a magnificent area to go and visit. Um, and so we were there for, uh, Garth was there for his standard five year, and I was there for my standard four and my standard five year. And you, you will have picked up in the book that my initial, when I first started writing, I actually would write as currently kind of grade, because, you know, you talk about grade five, grade seven, grade eight, and uh the uh, my editor said no we need to keep it into context in terms of at that point in time we spoke about standards so it was standard four and standard five um which i think a lot of uh, the older generation people understand completely and get slightly confused when we talk about today's grade 11 or grade 9 or grade 12. Um, so the book actually deals with sort of uh, historically is, is is factually correct. So we were there in standard four and standard five, and it was, again, a dual medium school um, with a very dominant Afrikaans um, community. And uh, the English guys that were there were really kids from the city, 
And we, I suppose we all had our own issues and our own problems in that. And uh, I, I sort of titled the, that chapter, The Anglo-Boer War. Um, historically, I mean, I'm a history teacher. Historically, we talk about the South African War because the South African, the, the, the war included everyone. I mean, it wasn't just uh, the, the, the Boers and, and the British. Um, it included uh, a mixture of South Africans at that time. But at that point in time, it was referred to as the Anglo-Boer War. Um, and that's exactly what it was because we spent most of our time, weekends and time off, uh, fighting each other because it was sort of the Afrikaans guys versus the English guys. <laughs> and so we spent most of the time defending ourselves and having fights and clay lot fights. And, uh, and, and it was quite rough, actually. You know what? This is, this is something, and when I relate these kind of stories to people these days, they kind of look at me with a little bit of disbelief. But I mean, when, when, when I was growing up and living in Benoni, and I was at, at what they call Wordsworth High School, uh, just changed to Wordsworth High School, the, the local Afrikaans high school was Brandwach. Um, and depending on which group of kids got to the bus stop first in the morning, you know, if, if the English kids got to the, the bus stop first in the morning, uh, then the Afrikaans kids, would, would, they'd be held to pay. But uh, it was also happened vice versa. So, you know, you had to worry about when you would get. And there was this rivalry. And we, it was. There were some hectic fights and rough stuff and everything. And then at the end of the day, you kind of just get along, except for sports days. They had to keep us separated at sports days, though. Um, but... Uh, it's 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 a it's a fascinating time and and people you know when I look back to where we are today and and, and how life in general was then, um, you you growing up uh, as as an English uh, English speaking person me being English, um, there was a, a certain amount of of kind of do we call it racism? Um, you know if you if you weren't Afrikaans speaking, I was told very often you know sorry mate you you you're not an Afrikaans speaker so. To get a job in any of the traditional Afrikaans stronghold type businesses is not going to happen. Um, and I just, I, I never really thought much about that at the time, but it, it strikes me now. If that kind of behavior now, people would freak out. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's it's probably more a preference. So there was a stronger preference for Afrikaans speaking people in, in 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 most areas. I mean, if you go later on in the book when I talk about my time at Johannesburg College of Education at Wits. Um, we were completely dominated in the education sector by by Afrikaners. Um, and there was sort of a mini coup that was staged sort of by myself as SRC president at that point in time to take over the, the Transvaal Student Teachers Union, which was which had been run since its inception in, uh, I, I think, the, the original date of that Transvaal Student Union goes back to the, the 1912-1913, so almost at the time when the National Party itself was, was formed. So, you know, there was a consistent dominance, but the interesting thing was that even in primary school, so when I was there in the 79, 1979-1980, um, I was a big guy, so I was able to defend myself and kind of played rugby and absolutely loved it and got through to the far north primary school trials and did incredibly well as, as an English person. Um, but my best mate at the time was a chap by the name of Kivit. His nickname was Kivit and his name was Kasper uh, uh, Lawrence. And he was my best mate and we were great friends. But we still had the Anglo-Boer War and then we'd kind of separate and have our little fights and everything, and then we'd be back together and, you know, doing our thing in the evenings or on, on our time off or whatever it was. So it was, it was an interesting dynamic. 
Yeah, it is. It's, it's fascinating. We're going to talk a little bit more uh, about Shawnee's early life and um, because you're an educator at heart. And when we when we come back, we'll be talking about what led Sean to uh, move into that direction in terms of the educational field. It is what's involved. More from my special guest, Sean Fuchs, when we return. And we're back. It is what's involved. Sean Fuchs, my special guest, his book, uh, Fush, A Story of Pride, Respect and Leadership. That reminds me, let's get that part out of the way. Where does Fush come from? So, as, as as the book will tell you, one of the, and and the front cover has this water polo ball on it. And the front cover is quite interesting because we, it, it, first of all, it was shot by one of my past students, uh, Devin Lester, who's a fantastic photographer. Um, and we, we looked at it, obviously we shot a whole lot of, um, uh, a whole lot of photographs, and 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 I chose that one. Uh, one because it's got the water polo ball, which was such an important, played such an important role in my life as a as a teacher, as a sports coach. Um, I went on to coach the provincial teams, and in 2000, the South African schools team that we toured Slovakia and Hungary, um, and um, and we'd won three national titles in the interprovincial tournaments. So it had the water polo ball, and the water polo ball uh, was significance for obviously being the water polo coach. And traditionally, in in the water polo circles, we we often had nicknames. And somewhere along the line, the boys had started calling me Fush. Um, and as I mentioned in the book, where there was a combination, my surname being Fuchs, and uh, where there was a combination of fish and and Fuchs or whatever it was, it sort of stuck. Um, and uh, there were different spellings with F-O-O-S-H, but the one we stuck with was very close to my surname, so F-U-S-H. And that's really where, where it stuck. So for, for years, uh, the students, the, the boys, the players – would call me Fush, and uh, and I think that's what I was known as, really, more than anything else. Very few people called me Sean. Fantastic. Now, this this desire for you to to get into the world of education and and to make a difference, to leave, because it strikes me that that's one of your your philosophies is is anywhere you go or wherever you interact, you try and leave the places, the institutions, better than they were that before you arrived there. What, what drove you? What made you want to get into education and make a difference? So after primary school, we, I'd, I'd spent a, a year, my, my folks had sent my older brother Garth a year ahead of me to a school called Grenville in Rustenburg. And um, uh, I followed the following year. So in 1981, when my standard sixth year, I spent a year there. And you, you sort of alluded to it. It's earlier with the initiation and sort of um, how how times were at that point, um, and there was an enormous amount of victimisation, bullying. Uh, seniors would would really beat you to a pulp. This was an English school again in Rustenburg in a very dominant Afrikaans environment, um, but you were bullied by you know kind of uh, the, the the guys in standard nine, standard ten, and I was in the hostel. And, and it was a really rough year as a standard six, and you had no recourse. I mean, the teachers did absolutely nothing. It was seen as sort of a, a part of the journey you had to go on, um, and I absolutely detested that. 
um, leaving it there, but my folks pulled us out because my dad had always wanted us to get into Jeppy High School for Boys. So we had an opportunity having moved from Hillbrow into uh, rented a house in Kensington and largely because it could get us into Jeppy because we would then be zoned to go to Jeppy. Um, and so in my standard seven year, in 1982, I started at Jeppy, and I loved my time at Jeppy. Uh, I, I loved the tradition. I loved the culture. I loved, uh, you know, I talk about walking through the hallways, the smells. Um, it was a really fantastic time for me. It, the sport spoke to exactly what I was about, so I enjoyed my rugby there. In the afternoons, I would jump on the bus, and I'd head into town and go and train at one of my dad's gyms, um, <clears throat> and... Um, and, and so JP for me was a great time and, and I had really strong teachers and teachers that had a massive impact on me. And, you know, I always say to uh, through the years when I've been a headmaster or uh, after that it was managing director running a group of schools, I'd always say to teachers when I do an induction, I'd say to them, you know, think of – and I'd say the same to you, Dave. Think of someone that – really was a massive influence in your life. Nine out of 10, if not 10 out of 10 times, I guarantee you that's a teacher. That was a teacher that was that in that positive influence in your life. And you will Absolutely. remember them. You'll remember, you, you remember their idiosyncrasies, you remember their talk, what they did, how they reacted to you, what they, the, the influence on you was massive. And so, I had a similar sort of appeal. Sadly, there's also a flip side of it, where people that have been traumatized have sadly been traumatized by teachers in a school or will never forget that a teacher did this or that. And I'm hoping that's the exception. Uh, and I think it is, uh, because I think the majority of people uh, always had a teacher, regardless of how you found your schooling, uh, had a teacher that that had that positive and that dynamic influence on you. And I did. I, my rugby coach at the time, Dave Pitcan, um, was that influence on me, and I uh, absolutely loved him. I loved what he, how, you know, how he interacted with the students, uh, the way he taught, um, and and I initially wanted to go into law school. Uh, but uh, and thank goodness I didn't. Um, and he sort of on our matric, where I was first team rugby at Jeppy in my matric year, and on one sort of uh, camp, we were a training camp down to the south coast. He had asked me what I planned to do the following year, and I said actually I wasn't sure. And he said going to teaching, and I mean I didn't need more motivation than coming from from him. Um, and I also had an amazing history teacher in Gail Mervis. And she she also inspired me to sort of pick up the history as a subject. So I went in uh, doing sport, phys ed, and doing history. So that really was the background for me to go into teaching. And I always wanted to, you know, I, I, I think I've always wanted to, um, you, you know, you want to leave some form of legacy. When I when I eventually stood down as as headmaster in 2015 at Crawford College, Lone Hill. Uh, the editor of the student magazine had asked me what was the legacy that I felt I left behind. Um, and she kind of wanted to know what, you know, this closure of this chapter of my life. And, uh, and, I, and, and I said, for me, it was so important that you inspired people and that you created an environment that was safe for students. Um, because I never had that, certainly not at Grenville and even at Haynesburg. Uh, I did feel I had it at Jeppy, 
although they are, I had an interview on Saturday uh, with, uh, with 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 um, a chap that runs his own sort of blog as well, um, um, a podcast at least, and uh, and he was also a JP old boy, and he had a completely opposite experience to me. So again, it it, it was my experience. Okay, because I, when we come back, can we can we chat a little bit about your experiences? Because you know you've highlighted that that a lot of your experiences uh, at school during your school years were very positive, but there were also some experiences that were, were quite negative and, and really affected you. And apparently, and particularly in those days, you know, we're talking in the 80s, which for me on the one hand seems like just yesterday and on the other, it seems like a, another lifetime. Um, but there was were, there were stuff that you went through then as well, some tough times. Can we talk about that when we come back? Sure. Yes. There we go. Fantastic. It is what's involved my special guest, Sean Fuchs. Um, I don't know. This is this is a great book, and I, I some you know I might sound like I'm gushing, but uh, Sean's book is is brilliant. I mean, he's he's done so much. He's managed to fit a whole lot of living uh, into his life, and it's it's a really well written book. There, there there are times it grabs you, and there are times that uh, you're going to get a little bit angry, a little bit upset. Uh, there's going to be some tears, I reckon, as well. When we come back, we'll find out more uh, about Sean and his schooling career. It is what's involved. And we're back. My special guest, Sean Fuchs, his book, Fush, A Story of Pride, Respect and Leadership. So, Sean, we've, we've heard about the good times. Um, there were some bad times as well. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because surely that has impacted um, what your vision is for how you would like to create a future. Yeah, I think one of the one of the themes that, that clearly runs through the book is that uh, I started dealing with my sexuality when I, as, like any teenager, when you sort of start reaching puberty and you 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 start becoming aware of your sexuality. <clears throat> and for me, I knew I knew that uh, at in in nineteen in the nineteen eighties that I was different. And uh, obviously, there wasn't there wasn't the, the 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 social media or the the access to information like we have today. So for me, I was trying to deal with the situation, trying to understand why the, um, uh, about friends that I was attracted to, um, as opposed to my mates who had girlfriends, and I really wasn't interested in girls at that point in time. I liked girls, but I just wasn't interested. Um, and that was a really tough time because there was I felt that there was no one I could speak to. Um, and it was an incredibly lonely time. Uh, I always use the example that um, when I it was probably 16, 17, uh, 1984, 1985, and was really dealing with their sexuality in a very masculine environment. So playing first team rugby, being involved in sort of uh, going to gym and, and, and really uh, getting involved in sort of uh, bodybuilding and, and powerlifting. And and then questioning my sexuality and then what who, who did I speak to I didn't because the only person I knew at the time uh, that was supposedly gay was Liberace and uh, nothing wrong with Liberace he was a phenomenal pianist and an incredibly talented artist but he had then just died of AIDS and right at that point in time was the height of the AIDS epidemic um, and it was seen as a gay disease so in my mind I was. I was I was going to die of AIDS. I had no idea why or how, uh, because of the naivety at that point in time. But that was the example that I had. 
And the other challenge, of course, was everything associated with gay was negative. So when in it, around you, anyone, whether it was your friends, whether it was teachers, it doesn't matter. Um, if they wanted to sort of insult you or anyone at that point, they would refer to, they would, they would use a slur that would be gay. So that is, oh, that is so gay or are oh, you such a fag or whatever. No, mm. today people realize what and how hurtful that is. But you can imagine as a 15, 16, 17-year-old growing up in the, in the 1980s that all you're trying to deal with who you are as a human being because you never chose this. This is the person I just became. This is who I was. But everything about who I was was associated with negativity. And that was, that was massive. And, and it was an incredibly dark and an incredibly lonely period for me because I didn't know that there were other people out there. And I didn't know that I could speak to anyone um, about it. I can, I can only imagine. And I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, if I think back to, to those 80s when I was in school as well, that used to be almost a threat, you know, like, oh, don't, you've got to be careful. You can't be seen to be sleeping around doing this, doing that, doing the next thing. You'll get AIDS, you know, and um, to somebody who is a gay person, I, I cannot, I, I simply I've tried and, and I've got a whole bunch of people that I've known through my life that are that are, are gay or bisexual or whatever the case may be. And I still, you know, that walk a mile in my shoes, I still can't comprehend the kind of bias that people had towards other people who may have had just a different orientation. And when I, I look how far we, we've come as, as, as people, and I hope we've come far, um, I can't help but, but feel a sense of pride. But I think people like you, Sean, have done amazing work as well. Yeah, I, thanks, thanks, Dave. And I, I think that it's 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 really about awareness, and it's about creating an awareness that that we 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 are all human beings. You know, the, the this thing of for me putting people constantly into categories. We grew up in a society like that. That's the society I came from under the apartheid system. Um, and and that is not the society we should have today. And obviously, at the moment, there's an incredible uh, awareness. There's an incredible movement of looking at the discrimination on minorities. Now, when you're in the majority, it's easy to say, come on, what is all this about? Can't people just get on? Can't this? Can't that? But when you are that minority and you've been discriminated, and you've grown up your entire life living where you, you don't have opportunities or you're, you, you, you are held back because of who you are, it's not a fair process. And when I see today, uh, I was sent um, a picture by a friend of mine of St. John's College. They were flying the pride flag, and I saw that uh, Rhonda Bosch boys had done it, and I'm sure there's some other schools that have done it. And I applaud that. I, I applaud that because it's, it's, it's June is Pride Month uh, around the world, uh, going back to the Stonewall riots of the 90, late 1960s. Um, where, and and I, I applaud that kind of uh, behavior. But going with that needs to be an education. We need to also explain, and we also need to educate 
kind of people. It's no good just flying the pride flag. It's also about kind of uh, opening up, having conversations, and making it a comfortable environment for everyone. You know, in 20 years' time, hopefully less, 10 years' time, Dave, you, you, you and I could have a conversation and no one's going to blink. No one is going to blink at all um, about kind of gay people rights or gay rights uh, because it will be so entrenched in our society. You know, um, I, I always go back and you kind of look at through the ages how we society, you go back to the 1920s when women were demanding the franchise, the vote. Uh, it was argue this is impossible. How can a woman have the logic to think politically she should be at home? I mean, it was unheard of. And of course, women got the franchise and got the vote. And 20 years later, no one blinked an eye about it. So yeah. this is society adapts uh, to to the environment. And I think this is the phase that we're going through at the moment is, is, is it's it's a very strong movement and it's, it's a very legitimate uh, movement. And for me, as an educator, as a headmaster, as a sports coach, I always wanted to create and try to, and I believe I did, uh, create an environment that was open, was tolerant, was mutual respect, um, as best we could. You know, there's no perfect environment at all. But I think the the the, the environments that certainly I was, I was responsible for, I tried that as best as possible. Well, I think I think you you've you've hit the nail on the head there, and, and this is this is I think what it's all about, and 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 you cover this so so well um, in your book, and I and I, I keep saying it's this book is it's literally grabbed me, not because uh, I suppose yes, because there's so many similarities in terms of of you know your experiences and 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 what you've been through, going to the army, being in the army, um, you know I when I did my army service. Um, you know, it was one of those traditional things. Well, if they're gay, they get sent to catering school, you know, and, and that's that's the way people are and they do this. And you, you couldn't say at that stage when you were in the army at that stage, you couldn't say, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm gay because you would have got beaten to within an inch of your life. They would have they would have tried to beat the gay out of you, as as, as the saying used to go. So. Just the fact that you've done this, and I mean, the fact that you're setting an example like that, I think is absolutely phenomenal. Um, so let's just quickly, when we come back, and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap up. But then, because um, there's just so much to cover, I don't think we can cover it all in 40 minutes. But um, we've covered that you 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 were in the army, you were an officer. I need to leave some stuff in the book as a as a as a surprise. But uh, we talked about about Crawford College. So when we come back, can we start? Can we chat about how that came about, and then we'll wrap up and see what's next for Sean Fuchs. And we're back with what's involved. My special guest is Sean Fuchs. So, Sean, tell me a bit about it, because you, you became a very committed um, educator. And, and, well, I don't think you can become one. I think you probably are born uh, with that kind of a commitment. And education teachers, to me, um, you said it earlier, um, I've got one teacher that she'll stay in my mind forever. And the impact that she had on me and how she infected, um, how she affected my life um, in a very, very positive way. Talk to me about uh, about where you went to then. You went to the to JCE. You got through JCE. What happened? Um, after yeah, so so after leaving JCE, um, I had uh, I finished my national service, and I think we'll leave that chapter for the for the book. Um, uh -huh. 
<laughs> yes. One, I think the, the, the and the, the, the one sort of tidbit, excuse the pun, was sort of uh, amputating my fingers during that and having to sort of pick up the fingers because no one else would touch them and trying to get back to the military sick bay to have them sewn on. But we'll leave that chapter for for the listeners to kind of explore that more in the book. But that becomes quite significant as to who I was as a, as a, as a sports coach, as a teacher, because if you look at the front cover, my hand on the ball will show you that there's a digit missing on my on my index finger. And I never told the students about that ever. So I finally revealed that in the book. And for years, students wanted to know what it was. I mean, if I was umpiring a, or refing a water polo game, Game, there would be a, a, in those days would be a four meter or five meter penalty, and I'd hold up my hand with the five fingers, and you know the boys or the girls would sort of snigger and they'd say, "So is that a four and a half meter penalty, or is that a five meter penalty?" Um, <laughs> so we, we always had that wonderful sort of uh, joking relationship. Um, but so, so yeah, I think that we, we'll park that for for now. But the the the, the move through to Four Ways High School is a new school. Uh, I started water polo at the school. Um, I uh, didn't enjoy cricket, and I felt water polo was far more was far closer to rugby in terms of sort of the 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 way it's played and the aggression and the, the strategy and the, the tactics and that. And um, was teaching history at the time. And then in about uh, 1998, the the headmaster. Um, at the time of Four Ways High School, Malcolm Park, who was a massive influence on on me as a person, um, and and played a strong mentorship role. He was approached to go and open a new school called Crawford College in Lone Hill on the old Lone Hill Clubhouse grounds that was acquired at that point in time by Advitec. And Malcolm went across as the head and took um, and took a number of the top staff from Four Ways. And we'd gone across and then opened in 99 uh, uh, Crawford Lonial. And I went across as the head of sport and obviously teaching some history. And through the years, had worked my way into the management. So going on to a grade tutor, eventually a deputy head, the senior deputy, and uh, and finally a headmaster in uh, 2009. I was appointed as the headmaster because Malcolm had decided to retire and had stepped down. Um, and what was what was so interesting, certainly about the the, the, the moving to the headship, was the the the, the, the company Advitec, which owns the Crawford brand. They rightly so opened up the the sort of um, the interviews for headship uh, at the time to sort of anyone who wanted to apply. And what was so interesting, the students felt differently. For them, they felt I was the natural person to become the headmaster or the principal. And uh, they started a petition. And, you know, this was before sort of the, the days of the power of social media was realized. And it was, it was fascinating because within literally a week, there were six, 700 uh, students, past students, parents that had joined this Facebook group called um, Sean Fuchs for Principal of Crawford College Lone Hill. Um, and Advitech at that time didn't actually know what to do. They actually got hold of Malcolm and said, you've got to shut this down. And he, of course, just laughed. He said, how do I shut it down? I didn't start it. I don't, we don't know who started it. 
um, and and they were posting comments on this. So there was a lot of pressure. Um, and and fortunately, I, I think it was the right thing to go through an interview process. Um, and and I got the headship uh, in 2009. And and probably I would say the happiest years of my career were while I was head of uh, Crawford College Loneal. It was it was a phenomenal school, it still is. And I had the most amazing staff, um, in, incredibly talented and incredibly gifted teachers, uh, with with a really with a really uh, sincere, good, motivated community of students and parents. Which I think is is is, is so so important. Um, what happened from there to, to to bring us almost up to date, Sean? What 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 did you get up to? I mean, it was. Crawford College, and I know you, you, you speak of your passion and your love for schools and all things schooling. So what next? So I, I, I'd got to, during, the, um, during my time on management, I'd made a call to do my master's degree in business, um, which was unusual for a teacher to, to sort of uh, do an MBA. Um, I was, when I was doing it through the business school in the Netherlands, there was um, a ton of bankers and um, uh, engineers and uh, more bankers and uh, business people, and I was the only teacher. So it was it was quite unique that uh, that I would do that. And so I think the natural trend, besides having been incredibly entrepreneurial through most of my my, my life, uh, the book will talk about it, where I ran the tuck shop mafia scam at JP High School for boys in the 80s, um, to to running all sorts of businesses as a student. Um, and and later on, even as a teacher, um, so I think Advitech naturally felt that uh, it was a career move for me to go and sort of move into more the corporate space of managing schools, and that's what I did. I, I, I stood down as as head uh, in 2015, and that's where I finished the book. And I was quite, I was quite, um, I, I was quite clear. Uh, with my publicist and, and, and the editors and the, um, that worked with me on the book, that that's where I needed to end it for now. And a lot of people said there's definitely a second book coming. Um, and the and that was the happy space. And, and I really felt that it was important to end on that note because for me, a lot of what was happening, at, certainly in the last year and even now in the media, there was so much negativity um, on schools and 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 uh, not a criticism and more an observation. The media were very quick to jump on the Parktown Boys incidents um, on any incident that was negative within a school environment. And for me, part of writing the book was to bring out the positivity, to talk about the good stories, talk about the positive stories. Of course, there's negative, and of course, there's there's there there are ugly stories that one can write about. That's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to write something that when you put the book down, you actually felt good and you felt positive, and and it reignited your own positivity in your school career or your own experiences as a teacher or a parent or as a student, it didn't matter. So I finished it there when I stepped down as head. And the last two chapters, you know, I don't want to go on to the second last chapter, I think 14 was with my godson who, who was killed in a, a scooter accident and we'd given him the scooter for his uh, 16th birthday. 
And he was at my school. So I was headmaster and having to deal with that with the school community as a head, having given him that scooter, not accepting the responsibility or blame, but just dealing with the trauma of that. For me, that was so important. Again, it spoke to parents who've lost a child, to a school community that's lost a child, to teachers, to friends. Um, so that chapter to me was very, very powerful. And, and people who've read the book have just said it is the most powerful chapter. Um, and, and I think it's, it, it won't do it any justice talking about it. It, it. You need you really just need some quiet time to read through it and, and, uh, yeah. and you'll understand yeah. what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I left in 2015. I, I ran the Crawford um, Schools Group as general manager and then the Centurus Group uh, of schools, which is Pekinwood and South Downs and Tiger Valley, and we did some additions. And then I was approached by Inspired Schools, which owns the Redham House brand. Inspired Schools is a London-based um, private school group. And uh, I ran the Redham House brand for of schools up until March this year. And uh, and then I decided in, this, in December to, to sort of step down. I think I felt I'd, I'd lost that passion, that energy, more on the corporate side. I mean, you said it earlier, you, you, an educator, you, it's kind of in your DNA. You can't get rid of it. It's there. And uh, the whole idea was writing the book and publishing the book was to get out and tell the good stories and talk about inclusion and talk about um, tolerance and, and talk about sort of diversity in our schools, in our workplaces. And, in, uh, and, and that's really what I wanted to do. Of course, being hit by a sort of lockdown and COVID and the, where we are at, as a, at the moment in terms of uh, as a country and certainly globally, um, that has put a, a halt on, on sort of actually engaging with people because I think webinars and that, it, it doesn't have the same impact as physically seeing someone and talking it to people and engaging with them. So I think that to me is the next journey, is, 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 is talking about diversity, talking about inclusion, mutual respect, tolerance, because that's the that's the environment we, we that's the environment we are and, and largely we are, but we need to reinforce it and we need to talk about it and, and that's where I want to go. So into into the speaking uh, sort of arena. I think that's a I think it's a brilliant idea because even talking to you now for this short time I'm you know, I can I can sense that you are. You're you're an educator and um one of my, one of my best mates uh also started out and, and uh, he now does sales training, but started out as a teacher. And his dream is still to go back. If you ask him now, one day, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to go back one day to teaching and teach because, not because of the money, but because of the sheer love of, of teaching. So uh, I can get that with you. What's next? What's next for Sean? So I, I need to obviously, you know, the, the, the lockdown didn't come at a good time with the, the launch of the book. Um, but uh, I'm not the only one. I mean, there's just uh, it's affected all of us. So um, <clears throat> right now, it's to try and get as much publicity on the book as possible, and uh, and get the the word out and the message out. Uh, and I think the the you know I've got some entrepreneurial businesses that uh, uh, that exist and that continue at the moment. So that that does keep me busy. But it's it's really about uh, getting back into the schools talking to the students, talking to the teachers, talking to parents and into workplaces as well and, and, and businesses. And I think once we at that level, um, whether it's in a year's time, whether it's in 18 months time, that's fine. The book is timeless. The story of, you know, <coughs> excuse me, the inclusivity and 
diversity is timeless, but we can talk about it at any time. So I'm not in a rush um, and I'm really just enjoying the space that I'm in at the moment. Wonderful stuff. Well, Sean, all I can say is I, is I wish you all the best. This is this is an amazing book. It's, it's I'm so glad uh, that I've gotten uh, to read it. Um, you have so much to share, and and I, I, I salute your courage in in writing this book because you did write about your life, warts and all, um, and 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 I think it's that that definitely shines through the truth of it. Um, the book is now available at exclusive books. You say if you if you need a, a, an actual physical book. Um, is there is there a, a, a digital book available as well online? Intentionally, we've decided to hold off on the digital uh, book. Uh, call me slightly traditionalist in that sense. I uh, I think the 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 hard sort of cover, the, the, or at least the, the the physical book, is is quite important um, for me. So we will have a digital book later on and an audio book. But right now, it's the the physical book at exclusive books, or obviously at my, on our website, which is uh, seanfuchs.co.za. Now, Sean is spelt S-H-A-U-N, Fuchs, F-U-C-H-S. So it's seanfuchs.co.za. If anybody's got any questions, uh, anybody maybe would go, hey, Sean, could you maybe chat to us? Or, or maybe um, there's a student or a parent that's listening that uh, – is experiencing some difficulties or, or, or challenges or whatever. Are you prepared to speak to people like that? Yes, anytime, of course. And that's, that, you know, that was the intention of writing the book is to is, is to get out there and, 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 and engage with people. So, I mean, they can contact us. They can contact me via the website. Uh, it's probably the easiest to do. Fantastic stuff. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time out and having a chat to us. Um, I wish you all the best. And, and I think from from many, many people, we, we would just like to say thank you for, for what you've done. Thank you for uh, your, 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 your truth and your story and living your truth. Uh, and uh, I hope we can get to chat to you again sometime on the show. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. And thank you to your listeners for listening to me and, uh, and yeah, get the book and enjoy it. Fantastic stuff. That is my special guest, uh, Sean Fuchs. What a book. What a book. I, I got to tell you, I haven't quite uh, finished it yet. And I did. And you know what made me come to the crashing halt on reading this book is uh, that one chapter that Sean was talking about just now, because that was my snort and trana time over there. Right. It has been what's involved. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Um, and uh, for listening to my special guests as well. Before I go, one more thing. Thank you for listening.